G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I failed and I wasn't elected and so uh, suddenly uh, the day after the 1998 election, at the end of 98, I was unemployed. So I I guess I needed to find a job. So I went to see some friends at the Bible Society. It's an organisation I've had a lot of involvement with over the years and said, what can you do with a used politician? And they came up with a plan. Uh, Long story short, they wanted us to go to Mongolia. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, strap on your seatbelts and get ready for a ride because we're about to hear John Bradford's rapidly moving life story. And as we'll hear, he's been travelling from one venture to another all of his life. John has gone from being a federal member of parliament to being an overseas missionary with stops in London, Mongolia and the United States, just to name a few of the places he's been. He's written about his adventures in his book, An Abundant Life, from MP to Missionary, The Life and Times of John Bradford. He's having a chat with Karen Hunt. John, let's go back to the early days of little Johnny Boy. <laughs> Where yeah. were you born and what, what did your family look like and what was life like then? Oh, well, I was born in Sydney, actually on the northern beaches of Sydney, very shortly after the end of the Second World War, which seems like a long time ago. Yeah. I'm actually on the very front edge. I could hardly be more on the front edge of the baby <laughs> boomers, Karen. I was born on the 3rd of January, 1946. Yeah, thanks for so sharing. the baby boomer generation started a couple of days before that, so I was right on the front edge of that. I was born in Sydney. My dad was a returned serviceman. He'd been off in the fighting in the Second World War and uh, came home and not long after, well, I guess, say, nine months after, yeah. um, I came along mm-hmm. and uh, that was it. And we uh, we had a very happy home life as kids. I had a couple of brothers subsequently and uh, life was good for us living up on the northern beaches of Sydney, up at Newport in those days. Lovely. And it was just idyllic, I think, as I remember it. Although the, although the post-war years were tough for, for everybody and I think for returned servicemen, uh, I seem to vaguely recall my dad having difficulty settling down. Mm. My mum sort of took care of that, and I remember she basically took hold of him one day and said, look, you've got a family now, mate. You know, forget about going down the pub with, with, your, with the diggers. You know, your focus is on your family. So that, that's the way we were. We are very fortunate. So you were the oldest of the boys? I was, yeah, the oldest of three. I have two younger brothers. Yeah. Uh, three years, we're, all th- we're three years apart, so... Yep, three of us. And where did you go to school and what did you enjoy? Oh, well, I started school actually, well, the very first school I went to was in the Newport Surf Club of all places. I think it was like a kindy. Uh, I remember that as being a really happy time. Then I went to the Newport Primary School and then, then the family moved to the North Shore of Sydney. I think it was, I don't know quite exactly why, but anyway, we moved to Roseville. Oh, well, it was my dad's mother's house that we moved into and we put a granny flat on for her. So then I went to Roseville uh, School, Roseville Primary School, and then eventually to North Sydney Boys. High school. Were you always a good talker? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a great I, communicator. I 
I was actually an organiser, Karen. Yeah. I, I think if there was something to be organised, whether it was a school fete or, or whatever it was, it seemed to me that I'd step up to the plate to do it. No surprises at all. So when no. you were young, what were you hoping to get into? Oh, well, I had a lot of options towards the end of my school years. Uh, law was one. I mean, I always sort of fancied being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, I did well at economics at school and then went on to do economics at Sydney University, uh, majoring in accounting. Uh, so I eventually became both an economist and an accountant. Uh, it's a strange combination. Wow. And then later did a diploma in education. So I did a bit of uh, teaching, actually, at tertiary level teaching, not, not high school teaching. Uh-huh. So where does the politics come into this story? Oh, well, I, I always had, I suppose, an interest in politics. My, my parents were, were, were quite conservative politically, so uh, I sort of followed their politics as much as anything. But um, as I went through university years, I became increasingly interested in politics. But then I went into the army. I was conscripted. I was a national serviceman, went through officer training and, and spent a year in Vietnam. Mm. After I came back from Vietnam, I decided that I was a little unsettled. I went to live in America for a while, and it was there, I guess, that I really got interested in politics. It was during the Nixon years, and I came back to Australia. Actually, we're, we're talking about this at the right time. At about the time that uh, Gough Whitlam got elected, mm. I, I sort of looked from afar and figured I'd better come home and help save the country, really? which I did. There yeah. you go. <laughs> so where did you come from in America? Oh, well, I lived in San Francisco in uh-huh. that time for a, a year or two. But, yeah, when I came back to Australia, I figured that uh, I'd better get involved in the Liberal Party because I'd see the country going down the gurgler with the greatest respect to the the dear departed Gough. Um, But uh, I uh, was very much in the forefront of fighting to get Malcolm Fraser elected as uh, Prime Minister and, of course, the rest is almost history, I suppose. Were you a Christian at that stage? Yes, I was. Yes, I became a Christian, actually, uh, when I was about 12 years old, mm-hmm. became a Christian at a boys' camp in Sydney. It was called Camp Howard. It's still going strongly, Church of England camps. And uh, we, we'd always gone to Sunday school. I mean, that seemed to be the pattern in those days. My parents were not churchgoers. They weren't Christians. But they did send us to Sunday school, and uh, and I guess I became very interested in that. And eventually uh, I became a Christian when I was about 12 years old. That was about 1958. John, what happened when you came back, and was that an easy transition for you? Well, I came back to a to a fairly substantial family business, and that was always the plan when I went off to join into the army. Uh, when I was conscripted, that I'd come back into our business. We had a fairly successful and uh, substantial family business, so I, I was I was committed to going back into the family business, and that's right. That's what I came to do when I came home from America in '73. <laughs> um, but I was also yeah became actively involved then in the Liberal Party on the northern beaches of Sydney or the. Uh, well, it was earlier than that. It was actually, yeah, the North Shore of Sydney. But um, I, uh, I, I also I took an interest. I, I figured that probably the way to start would be to get involved in local politics. So by this time, the family had moved to the northern beaches of Sydney. We lived in Collaroy, and so I ran for the Ruringa Council. Uh, I wasn't successful the first time, but I got elected the second time and subsequently spent nine years in local government in Sydney, at the same time working in the family business. So politics and business, a good mix locally? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, yeah, it was. Life was pretty good. Well, it's always been good, actually, but it was it was a great time. I was very much involved in this local surfing community. Uh, that was one of my favourite sports at the time. I'd, done, I'd been surfing right from my university year. Yeah. 
when I should have been studying, I was surfing, I think, a lot. <laughs> and I continued that, and I'm still surfing to this day all those years later. Wow, good for you. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Tell us about your family. When and how did your wife come along into the picture? Oh, well, Judy came along quite a bit later. Um, I was... Uh, 37 when I got married, um, so um, uh, Judy was quite a bit younger than me and still is quite a bit younger than me, <laughs> so she came along uh, quite, quite some time after that, but I'd, uh, I'd progressed in the family business and uh, well, life was going along quite well. In fact, I'd probably got to the point where I thought I, I might not ever get married. I mean, I'd had a few relationships along the way, but uh, Judy came along um, in... Uh, the early 80s by now we are, aren't we? And that's, she swept, my, <laughs> swept me off my feet and we got married very quickly, actually, after we met, I'd say. We were both working at the time with, uh, with uh, an organisation called Youth for Christ, which was very big in those days. Judy was a, a staff member or a sort of volunteer staff member and I was a board member in Sydney and we sort of came together in that way. And, uh, yep, one thing led to another and we were quickly married and life went on from there. And you have children? Three children, yeah. yeah. Tim came along pretty soon afterwards. Uh, well, more than nine months afterwards, I hasten <laughs> to add. And uh, then Sally came along not long after that, and then there was a gap of about six or seven years till our youngest, Lisa, came along. Lisa's just our youngest, is 21, and, yeah, we've had three wonderful children, and Judy's been a wonderful wife and mum for over 30 years, so I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, God bless them all. Now, were yeah. they a part of your political career as well? Well, they were very much... Well, I mean, by the time they came along, I was... Uh, in federal parliament. Now, that, that's kind of a big leap, I guess, okay. from where we were. But after I'd finished my three terms in local government, we decided to move to Queensland. We're talking now, uh, we're talking now 1987. Uh, and for a lot of reasons, uh, we decided to pack up and leave Sydney and come to live in Queensland. And we moved to the Gold Coast. And it wasn't very long after that that I got back involved in the Liberal Party up here and uh, and not too long after that, again, that I was uh, pre-selected for the federal seat of McPherson, which at those days covered almost the whole Gold Coast, and uh, and then shortly after was elected to the parliament. So our two older children uh, were very much a part of all of that and lived uh, for the nine years that I was a federal MP. Yeah. Um, I was away a lot of the time. Judy had to take care of the family, and uh, so that's where she excelled as a mother, and, and I uh, got involved in uh, spending most of my time in Canberra. Tell us about your interest in Aboriginal rights and, and other issues there. You seem to have a heart for the native people of our country. Well, that came later again, I think. Uh, in the early days in, in the parliament as a Conservative MP, it wasn't an area where you sort of really wanted to say too much. I mean, we were whilst there was a general sort of lip service towards the needs of our Indigenous people, nothing much was being done, but... Towards the end of my time in the parliament, I, I became closely involved with a number of Aboriginal folk who became quite good friends. Mm -hmm. And it was a time the whole debate on native title was going on and there were a lot of issues. And I became increasingly sympathetic uh, towards them. And that's when I decided actually towards the end of my time in the parliament to leave the Liberal Party and run uh, for the Senate in Queensland under the Christian Democratic Party banner. And I had an Aboriginal running mate there. So... That, that was quite a leap for me and for a lot of my conservative colleagues and I came from the conservative wing of the Liberal Party, uh, I think they probably were a bit shocked. You're listening to The Story. 
Today, Karen Hunt is having a chat with former politician John Bradford. We've just been hearing about his time involved in politics. Next, we'll hear about his overseas adventures as a missionary. That and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with John Bradford about his eclectic life story, which he's written a book about, An Abundant Life from MP to Missionary, The Life and Times of John Bradford. Before the break, we heard about his time being involved in Australian politics. Now we're going to hear about the second chapter in his life. I know at a certain time in your life, with your wife and with your kids, you found yourself unemployed. What was that season like and what was that the springboard for? Well, uh, I contested the 1998 federal election running for, uh, for the Senate in Queensland under the Christian Democratic banner, having left the Liberal Party. Um, that was at the, at the zenith, I guess, of Pauline Hanson's rise. And so I was unsuccessful. So was she, incidentally, but she was a bit more successful than I was. And she was uh, really creating quite a storm. So I had to compete against that. Anyway, I, I, I failed and I wasn't elected. And so uh, suddenly uh, the day after the 1998 election, at the end of 98 I was unemployed so I I guess I needed to find a job and um, that's what led to the next part of my story which I guess is almost a whole new story in itself (laughs) but anyway um, Judy and I joked about it I mean it's a matter of when that happens if you're sort of a rooster one day and a feather duster the next and and that I was but I went to see some friends at the Bible Society. It's an organisation I've had a lot of involvement with over the years and said, what can you do with a, with a you know, used politician? And they came up with a plan. A long story short, they wanted us to go to Mongolia oh. and uh, sort of help facilitate the translation of the Bible in, in Mongolia. So I came home and told Judy up there, I said, well, the good news is I've got a job. The bad news is it's in Mongolia. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Judy said, where's Mongolia? And mm-hmm. we sort of grabbed the atlas and found where where it was up there way up in the north of China between China and Russia and within weeks I think I was on we were on our way to Mongolia with our with our three little kids I think Tim was by this time 14 Sally was 12 and little Lisa was six and suddenly we're in Ulaanbaatar Mongolia what an adventure how did you all assimilate there well, with some difficulty, but we knew it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, we left the Gold Coast and it was about plus 30 degrees and we got to Ulaanbaatar or via Hong Kong and Beijing, so we had a little break on the way. Um, but it was sort of minus 30 degrees when we got there. And, uh, and yeah, and, I, but, and so it was difficult. We, uh, Judy again, rose to the occasion, found a, we found a place to live, a sort of a place anyway, and uh, got on with my job, which was really to sort of work to solve some problems that the translation team was having and they were, they were quite complex problems and it would take some time to go into them but the job was challenging let's put it that way so I yeah. got on with my job and uh, that's what we did there we stayed in Mongolia for about six months and that was the deal I did with the Bible Society to spend six months there and then we uh, left and uh, traveled around the world with the family for some time and eventually found our way back to Australia. 
Wow, you guys are adventurers. Now, that's yep. not the only Christian ministry and mission organization you've been involved with. You've also worked for the Mercy Ships, a great Christian medical charity. Did that come yep. about in a similar time frame? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, soon after we came back to Australia from that uh, Mongolia, I was looking for another job, and I actually knew uh, it was Mercy Ships was part of Youth for the Mission then, so yeah. I had good friends in YWAM, in fact, the, the boss of YWAM, if you can call him that, in the southeast, uh, knew that I was looking for something. And again, long story short, we ended up uh, going to join YWAM Mercy Ships, as it was then, living in, in in Texas in the United States. So packed up our family again. The kids were into another school, going to school in America. And I was working as the uh, vice president for development for Mercy Ships International in uh, Tyler, Texas. Is that something you saw as a longer-term opportunity or was that another short-term stint? Oh, no, this was, this was for a few years yeah. and, uh, and I travelled a lot in that time to the ship, to visit the ships and to take donors to the ships. Our focus in the, in the United States was on the Caribbean where we had a ship working and, of course, we had a bigger ship working on the west coast of Africa, so I was in and out of uh, Sierra Leone and Benin quite a bit. But so after we'd finished in, in Dallas, well, I, after we finished in, uh, in Texas, I was sent to the United Kingdom, to London, as the CEO of Mercy Ships there. So the family packed up again wow. and all went to move to, to move to London and new schools again, the whole deal all over wow. again. So. Well, no wonder you've just uh, written a book entitled yeah. My Abundant Life. Yes, it's been pretty good. Abundance of word. I, yeah, I'm sort of picking up on the words of Jesus and his, I guess you'd say it's his promise that we can, we can have abundant lives and I guess the word abundant means lots of different things to different people but yeah, I think I've, I've come to understand what it means. An abundant life, a big time, that's for sure. Now, the last thing you just shared was that you spent two years as CEO of Mercy Ships UK. So give us a little bit of a headline. You've had other involvements along the journey before your current life coaching season. What are some of those things in a nutshell? Oh, well, we, when we came back from England, that was around 2004, I was looking for new things to do again. And uh, for a while, I worked uh, actually on the, on the local radio station, the Gold Coast, on 4CRB as a political commentator, talkback programs, enjoyed that. I ran for mayor of the Gold Coast in 2007 unsuccessfully against my friends uh, Rob Mulhook and Tom Tate. And anyway, so life goes on. And then I went to UCB and Warby asked me if I'd come and give you guys a hand with your fundraising, which I was happy to do. And during the course of that year, we would uh, we'd expressed an interest in going away with Australian Volunteers International. By this time, our kids are somewhat off our hands. So we went, uh, during that year I was with UCB, we went through the process of being selected by ABIs and, and then went to Vanuatu for a year. So we were in Vanuatu 2011-2012. Uh, working with Australian Volunteers International. We've just come back from another 10 weeks in Vanuatu as well, uh, working with some missionaries there. So so the life coaching thing is very recent, and uh, I, I'm not uh, you know, certain how that will go. I mean, a lot of people said to me along the way, wow, you know, you, you, you could really help people, and, and people have frequently asked me to, to mentor. I don't like that word so much, but to help them or advise them, and so I've just formalised that a bit. 
and uh, I don't want to get too busy, mind you, but uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm there and I'm available and I'm already getting some interesting assignments. Well, John, I can't imagine you sitting still. <laughs> you've got to sit still sooner or later, but <laughs> I, I think for me it's going to be a bit later. I, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, maybe the best is yet to come, Karen. I'd, I'd sort of hesitate to think that that might be the case when life's been so good so far. But uh, you never know what God's got planned, do you? Yeah, we don't, but he does. Now, yeah. your book, My Abundant Life, from MP to Missionary. I mean, you're on a God mission 24-7 every day of your life. You're doing amazing things. So JWB Coaching, is it mostly targeted for pre retirement or a different audience oh no i think it's uh, i think it's anybody really i mean i'm writing blogs for it i fortunately got a very capable guy helping me handle all that all that side of it the blogging and then, then he's got me involved with twitter and facebook and all these things that you know sort of are still quite strange animals for me to get my head around but <laughs> uh, we've got to do all of that so fortunately i've got somebody handling all of that side of it for me and i enjoy writing blogs i mean i've been writing a lot of stuff about leadership and uh, I don't know whether anybody's reading any of it, but I'm getting a bit of a a kick out of writing it anyway. Um, So I suppose it's just a matter of me, well, offering myself to anybody who really wants some advice and uh, they want to pay me something, I suppose, that that would be okay, but I don't really need the money and I'm not looking for that so much as just being available to help people. So what can you do for people as a life coach specifically? Well, I think I think the idea is it's a fairly modern profession. I mean, it's something that's fairly new, and I wondered about it when I first heard about it. You know, why would anybody need a coach? But I, I've come to understand, as a, as a golf player, for example, that if you're going to be you know competent in something, then you you know you need to have a coach. If you're a sportsman, every sportsman, every sports team has a coach. So why not a life coach? And uh, and I think as a Christian life coach, I'm not a pastor. I'm not qualified to be a pastor. But uh, but there are things that uh, people perhaps want some help or advice, and people do uh, encounter difficulties along the way. But it's, I'm not I'm not offering to counsel people necessarily. It's sort of a it's a bit of a, a different role to that as well. So. Uh, We'll see what happens. We'll give it. A, we'll give it a shot. And I think you'd be a fun friend, regardless. Uh, well, I'd like to be. John, are you guys involved in a local church at all? Yeah, we go to Rabini Uniting Church. It's actually called New Life. Uh-huh. Our pastor there uh, is a great guy. John, God bless you and your family, and thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Karen. It's been really good talking to you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. That was Karen Hunt having a chat with John Bradford, author of the book An Abundant Life. From MP to Missionary, The Life and Times of John Bradford. And what an abundant life he's had. I hope you're able to keep up with all of the twists and turns in his story and all of the locations he's lived. His life is a picture of the verse in the Bible where Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And an abundant life refers to a life that's abounding in fullness of joy. And it is without emptiness or dissatisfaction. It's a life that's available to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And if you want to read John's book called An Abundant Life, it's available online. You can find it just by a quick Google search for John Bradford and the words Abundant Life. Well, thanks for joining us for John's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.